Welcome beyond the Reiki Gateway. I'm your host, Andrea Kennedy. Like countless others, Reiki found me when I wasn't even looking, and then it ignited a whole new world of questions. This podcast explores topics of interest for the spiritually curious. Join me for discussions and special guests on subjects such as past lives, crystal healing, spiritual awakening, ascension, energy healing, and more, all to assist and inspire you along your unique soul's journey. Welcome to a brand new episode. I'm your host, Andrea Kennedy. I have with me today, Susie Miller. She's a visionary speaker, telepathic communicator, multidimensional seer, and a sought-after integration specialist. Her own unexpected spiritual journey began when she was a pediatric speech pathologist working with a child diagnosed with autism. After successfully facilitating his integration, Susie has assisted countless others to embrace their true potential and fully express their authentic selves. She is the author of the groundbreaking book, Awesomeism, A New Way to Understand the Diagnosis of Autism. Susie is sought out by and has collaborated with professionals in the fields of psychology, social work, education, science, medicine, quantum physics, and healing. Susie, I am so thrilled to have you here with me. I am a big fan of your work. I'm inspired by it and fascinated. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Andrea. Oh, it's just such a pleasure. I would love to introduce you to our audience through the lens of your early spiritual journey. It happened unexpectedly, I believe, back when you were a pediatric speech pathologist. And so I wonder, can you take us back to that? Give us a little context and elaborate about what unfolded for you. Yeah, it was 1999. I was a pediatric speech language pathologist in the state of Maine. I had a private practice and I was given different clients from different agencies. And there was a little boy that was new to my caseload that was diagnosed with autism. I graduated in 1986 with my master's degree. So there was no training in autism back then. It was like one in 10,000 was the uh, diagnosis rate then. So I really had very little information about autism. But I met this child, you know, and again, through the lens of a pediatric speech language pathologist. So I had a science background and an education background. And when I met him in his daycare center, he was literally pacing back and forth in the daycare center. And he was saying, it's the millennium. It's 1999. And so through my speech pathology eyes, I thought, he's a different little kid, you know. Actually, what I thought was he's a freaky little kid is what went through my mind. Once I got into the daycare center, he walked right up to me and he looked me directly in the eyes, which at the time I didn't know was even uncommon, but he looked me directly in the eyes and he said, master. And when he said master, I had some kind of visceral cascade of energy just ran right down through my body. And I thought, who's the master here? You know, was my first thought. I took him back to the back of the daycare center to work with him. He didn't want to be back there. He wanted to be out with the kids and all that stuff. 
So I literally sat against the door and just let him keep walking. And so he kept walking. It's the millennium. It's 1999 is what he was professing. And then all of a sudden, as I was sitting there waiting for him to calm down and also for myself to calm down because I didn't know what to do with him, (laughs) all of a sudden I saw above his physical body like a light body. And so it was literally like if you took his physical body, put it up above him, same cutout, you might say, but made of out of light. And from the light body, the foot of the light body had a little cord that was coming down into his physical body, into the head, and right dipped down into the heart space. And that was the only connection between this body and the other body. So I'm rubbing my eyes, thinking I shouldn't have gone out the night before, having all of those (laughs) kinds of weird ideas going through my head. And I just kept trying to make it go away, and it didn't. So the next thing that's natural, I think, for anybody is you're like inside your head, you're saying, what is that? You know, what am I seeing? And so I did say just that to myself. And I heard this little boy's voice inside my head. And he said, that's my light body. You're here to put my light body back into my physical body. And I had no idea what he meant. I had no idea how to do that. But basically what he did is he took me through a year-long process where he would come to me through by location. He would show up energetically in my physical space. He'd show up in dreams. He'd show up telepathically or would share information with me telepathically. All skill sets that I didn't know I had until that moment. So I thought it was pretty much going a little crazy. But because I didn't have the education to really work with him in any way, constructive way, because we didn't have any training at that time, I decided I would just listen to what he was telling me to do. So I just listened to what he told me to do. And over the course of that year, he became more and more, I would say, interactive Sometimes on those subtle levels, we were having a lot of amazing conversations. He was sharing with me, you know, what created his condition of autism or why that showed up the way it did in in his world. I kept asking if I could share this information with his parents. They were like, no, he kept saying, no, they're not ready. So I had that dilemma too, as a pediatric speech language pathologist. and. That was a little challenging, I've got to say. And I just kept asking him, would I be able to share this information at some point? He said yes. So we kind of went along with the process. And basically, it was like close to a, a year later. At one point, I pretty much had been working with him the way he asked me all the way along bringing that light body back into the physical body. There were all kinds of things, bringing tuning forks, bringing different colors in. He brought all kinds of things to the table. And on my birthday one year, I decided that I would just kind of do a little bit of an energetic session from a distance on his behalf. I did that 
The next day I was going to physically see him. And when I got to his house, rang the doorbell, opened the door, and he was standing at the top of the stairs and clear as day. Hi, Susie. How are you? His speech up to that point was less than consistent, less than coherent. And I said to his mother, I go, what happened? She goes, I don't know. She goes, but last night he simply started communicating as clearly as clear could be. There's a lot of information in the book about what followed, but I was in tears, clearly. (laughs) It's like it worked. Yeah. And from there, one kid after another seemed to find me. So I want to circle back really quickly. You had never seen energy before, nothing like that. And so you mentioned having thoughts like maybe you're going crazy or something. I can't imagine because in your work life, you're having that experience, but it's a personal experience as well. Weren't all aspects of your life really affected by this one case, so to speak? Yeah, profoundly. A matter of fact, on the day that that happened, I remember going out and sitting in my car for a second. And I literally said to myself, I don't know what that was, but I know my whole life has just changed. And so during that year-long process, what ended up happening is it was almost like Riley kind of put a key in a lock and turned it and opened up a vault that maybe opened up a level of mastery that I might have had from other lifetimes or other experiences, but I definitely did not know that I had in this incarnation. And so during that first year, there were all kinds of things happening. I had different support systems, you might say, or guides coming in and showing me different techniques. There was uh, an aboriginal energy that would come sit on the end of my bed teach me light language. There was a Polynesian woman that came in, taught me how to kind of work with laser hands to be able to move things energetically, almost like psychic surgery, things like that. And all kinds of different energies that came in to support like the multidimensionality of what I now know myself to be, but had no clue of then. Also on a very practical human level, I had a husband at the time and four children, four young children. My youngest was two. My oldest was 10. It just completely reoriented my reality and ultimately ended marriage and ended, you know, those kinds of things. You just can't shift to that degree and not have your whole world kind of turned upside down. So it's exactly what happened. And in retrospect, I wouldn't change any single aspect of it. Going through it was not all that easy, I would say. Yes. Did you find that seeing energy and having maybe these experiences, were they all relevant to Riley and your work with him? Or would you also notice energy just randomly or anything else? Yeah. At the beginning, 
when Riley was teaching me directly, and I would say his higher self or that highest timeline that is him, when he was teaching me, it was all directed towards him. And I think that that was very purposeful because at one point I was told that I would change autism to awesomeism, meaning that we would change the definition of what it meant to be autistic from a disorder to something that was well beyond something that's a disorder. When it was he, him talking directly to me, it was all about him and about his process and about this population as a whole. When the other support systems started coming in, that's when, honestly, for a really long time, I couldn't not see something in somebody's field because everything just got blown open. So I remember a day at one point, especially when the collective consciousness of the children started coming in, you know, I had four little girls and I was in the suburban driving them around to, you know, all the things you do when you're a mom of four little girls. Except I consistently and constantly would hear the collective consciousness of the kids as well. And I finally just literally had to pull over one day and say, stop, just stop. It has to, I will meet with the collective consciousness of the children every day for an hour. I'll set aside some time, but I can't have you talking to me while I have four little girls talking to me at the same time. Wow. We had to set some boundaries. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking is boundaries. And so, and, and a lot of people have that question. How do you set boundaries? And I love your story because you pulled over and you said, Hey, and did it work? It did work. Yeah, absolutely. As long as I, did what I said I was going to do too, which was give myself that time every day to be present to that collective consciousness. Then we would have a nice conversation and interaction, and then I could go about my business doing other things at other times, which was great. I have to imagine that had to be huge for you. I mean, not just practically, but also to know that you were co-creating this experience, this interaction, meaning if you set the boundary and there was an agreement there. And I would imagine at a time where so much was shifting and changing and, you know, the word chaos comes to my mind, but, (laughs) but to be able to draw the line in the sand and have some structure there, that must have been very helpful. It was very helpful. And what I think most people don't understand is like if you go from zero to 180, so to speak, when we have those big kinds of openings, every single aspect of ourselves has to be reoriented to that new energy. So neurology, biology, psychology, everything has to get reoriented you know, I have a lot of people that say, oh, I would love to have your skill set. And I go, be careful what you ask for sometimes, you know, because on the one hand, yes, I mean, like I say, I wouldn't change anything now. But that reorientation from being a very mentally fixated, you might say, speech language pathologist to having this multidimensional capacity. Yeah, it is. It's It does have its challenges for for sure. 
And you actually can begin to feel the body starting to reorient to this new skill set. And as it does, the need for those boundaries becomes even stronger. We talk, my, my operations director and I talk frequently about the fact that that is a consistency throughout, I think, anybody's journey because we definitely want to know from the get-go that this is a two-way street, you know, that it's not just someone having to receive information and act that out. You know, we, we really have to take ourselves into consideration 100% of the time. So we're valuing ourselves as we go through that process. Yeah. I think for some people, they might have the experience and then they're so perhaps in awe of the experience and they're so thankful for the experience that they don't want to make waves, <laughs> you know? And so they'll just take whatever comes thinking like that that's the way it works. But I, I love your story. That's exactly what I think is as natural as it comes because if you've never had an experience like that, the perception is, is that energy is somehow superior to your human experience. And it's just not true. You know, it's like the mastery was already there. This was simply a reflection of the mastery, right? Oh, yeah. And mm -hmm. so the opportunity to really see it from that vantage point, I think, allows people to acknowledge that that they are what they're interfacing with. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Big concepts there. Beautiful. Can we talk a little bit too about the wisdom that you gained from those early days by working with Riley? What were his messages about autism? And you had alluded to him talking about his situation and how that came to be. Can you elaborate on that? I just flat out asked him, you know, it's like, what is autism? You know, what, what is that? You know, clearly it's not what we think it is. There were a couple different layers or levels to that experience. So one, he said that autism was literally like a vibrational or an energetic mismatch between the essence or the soul of that individual and their physical form, that the, vibrationally they were just in two different places altogether. And he also said that one of the reasons that that vibrational mismatch was there in the first place is that the level of toxicity that was here on planet Earth. And toxicity was not just physical toxicity, emotional, mental, the way we've been conditioned to think and feel and have our emotions run our lives and all of that. He called all of that emotional toxicity. He said they come here with awesomeism, you might say. They come here from a higher vantage point, higher frequency band broader information field. And they're trying to put that together with the conditioning that 
has happened on this planet for a very long time. And they're just a mismatch. He started talking to me about vaccines at one point as well. And again, in 1986, I had vaccinated all my children. Uh, my youngest was two. Like I said, I stopped at that point. Because he was sharing what he was sharing, I had no reference point for that. I was still in the mindset at that time that you believe what the doctors say and you just do what you're supposed to do. That's what being a good mother is about. And he asked me to take a look at the American Medical Association's at their journal for 1995. And I went and looked it up. And in 1995, they made a case as to why they were going to go from 12 vaccines from zero to five to 36. They tripled it at that point. He said that that was, you might say, a means of silencing some of this population that was coming in in a, in a very different way. Whether it was consciously silencing them or unconsciously silencing them, that was the repercussions, you might say, of having that much what he called toxicity in the field, certain things shut down. The amazing part about that is you can't shut down source consciousness. You, you can't shut down the essence of someone. So this information is coming forward regardless. So we have been in density here on the planet and people say 3D and, you know, all of that kind of thing. And things have been lightening up. And so these children with this diagnosis, they're part of that equation, are they not? A hundred percent. When we look back at when they started coming in and why they started coming in, I mean, they really came as part of our collective human evolution. And they were going to come to hold a information, or you might say a, a vibration that was much higher than what humanity had been used to up to that point. And the tricky part for them as souls, you know, as souls, we make all kinds of choices. We go, yeah, we can do that. That's awesome. Let's, let's go. And so ready to take on that mission, you might say. So they came in mass. But when push came to shove, whether it was going to be them being in the frequency or in the vibration that they are holding or being here, in the body, they were going to choose that vibration every single time. The amazing thing is, is as the vibration of the planet has gone up, like you were saying, as that's elevated, it's becoming much easier for these kids to integrate now. It's like the very fact that they were here helped to elevate the vibration of the planet. And as the vibration of the planet is elevated, it makes it that much easier for the new ones coming in to integrate much more quickly than the ones that might have come in all that time ago. Right. And are they coming in now differently or similarly? Uh, differently, I would say. So I have families that I work with where the the child in the family is 45 years old. And I have families that I work with that have a three or a five-year-old. 
right? The energetic imprint and what those different generations are actually trying to do is, is very different. I mean, those, those souls that came in that are now 45, 50 years old, hard road. They were literally carving out an energetic path that was going to allow more and more of these kids to come. That's why in 1986, we have one in 10,000. And in 2023, we have one in 43. You know, so we've got more and more of this energy coming, but it is also getting more easier and easier for this population to be received, to be heard, to be valued, to be acknowledged as a difference, not a disorder. Correct. You had brought up the vaccines, but if the vaccines weren't part of the equation, I know it's hard to maybe go there with this, but if the vaccines weren't part of the equation, how would the children have come in? How would they be different? Yes. And again, I've asked the collective consciousness this question, so I'm just giving you the answer I've learned from them. If the vaccines hadn't been in the equation at the time when they were in the equation, the, this population would have more verbal communication. Oh, okay. And if they have more verbal communication, they would have less behaviors. If they had more verbal communication, they'd also have, you might say, less dysregulation. But the fact is, is that all of that is really important. I know it's tremendously difficult for those families, you know, day in, day out at a very human level. And at the same time, the invitation from these children to those families is to really be present to our emotions, to be present to the way in which we think. Most parents of kids on the spectrum will tell you that after a few years even of living with them, some of the things that they really cared about and thought were part of their identity, they can't care about anymore. That's It's not important anymore. Some of the ways in which they thought about themselves or about their life experience, they get a much deeper look at that within themselves. and. It's all purposeful because it's all helping all these different lineages raise in vibration. Yep, to know themselves beyond what they've known themselves to be before. So really they are our teachers. A hundred percent. Yeah. Quite frankly, any child is our teacher. It's the opportunity for any Anyone to learn from a child is right there and available. When you add the energetics of autism onto the, on top of that, you're being taught by a full-blown master. You're being taught by somebody who holds a completely different vibrational frequency or vibrational information than what we've been conditioned to pay attention to. Yeah. Could you offer a couple of examples of what that may look like, this teaching and these, these opportunities within a family? Right. 
So the, the very first teaching is really about how we feel, right? When I asked at the very beginning, give me the basic beginning steps of what do I need to talk to your parents about in order for this to get a little bit easier. And again, not to fix them, not to any of that, but just to have their presence here in the families that they are with to make that easier. And one of the very first things is, is they said, we don't care how our parents feel. We do care that they know how they feel. So it became really important for the parents that I was working with to tune into, okay, you have a behavior that's going on, dysregulation, your child can't talk, they're frustrated, they're overwhelmed. How is that making you feel? Again, instead of just trying to fix the child and have them not create that behavior anymore that stimulates that emotion. No, we're going to go right into how does that make you feel? Can we learn to be present to how that makes us feel? Because the brilliant thing is, is the moment we know how we feel, they don't have to reflect it anymore, right? So I've had that experience with my own children where when they were younger, you know, kids are kids, they're bringing up all kinds of things. But the moment I would say, it's making me feel sad, it's making me feel overwhelmed, it's reminding me of how I felt when I was a child and I was going through this. Just having that awareness would neutralize that energy and my children would no longer reflect that particular pattern anymore. Yeah. With these families, as the parents begin to increase their own awareness about their emotions, their reactions, and all of that, I have to imagine not all parents really want to do that. It's true that not all parents do want to do that, but I've been really clear with people from the beginning. I'm not here to fix children who I can't perceive as broken in the first place. What I can help with, however, is reorienting, you know, what's actually going on here. And as we reorient what's going on here and people become more self-aware, people become more loving and compassionate to themselves, what naturally and organically happens is the relationship gets much easier. The dysregulation diminishes. The communication finds a way to have its voice. It's not necessarily the way we might think we need to go about working with this population. They're not like us. They have a different vibration. And so they're trying to teach us how to become more like them instead of us trying to force them to be more like us. That does not mean that they're trying to invite us to be dysregulated or any of that's not it. They're inviting us into love, compassion, and understanding. And when we go there, we begin to find out what our own masteries are. Wow. This episode is sponsored by the new Mainstream Reiki community, 
where we bring together Reiki practitioners of all levels to build a supportive, like-minded community, continue our education and practice together so that we can deepen our understanding of Reiki, explore related topics, and empower ourselves and each other to practice Reiki more confidently. Join us for live Reiki practice, participate in group mentoring sessions and conversations to share insights and connect with other Reiki practitioners from around the world in a welcoming atmosphere free of social media and advertising. To learn more, please visit members.mainstreamreiki.com. I'd like to ask you about this word integration and what does that really mean in context of your work? Because you not only work, you know, with uh, families like we've been talking about in the area of autism, but also other integration, I believe you focus on as well. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So I have a tendency to get kind of like three populations. One is the autistic population. Two is people who have had early childhood trauma that are trying to integrate that trauma into their adult human experience. And also people who have had, I would say, heightened spiritual experiences, kind of like I did with Riley, that are trying to find a way to make that part of their daily lives, integrate that. When I very first started working, people would refer to me as a healer. And that never quite settled with me. And then I found Michael Brown through the presence process. And he discussed the fact that integration is really about bringing all aspects of ourselves back to the whole, right? Whereas healing can sometimes indicate that something's broken that needs to be fixed. And I really liked that definition. And I also, from what I learned from the collective consciousness of the children, is that they were, one, they weren't broken, two, a lot of the aspects of themselves, a lot of the parts of themselves, were not talking to each other. They were not interacting because they couldn't. To me, integration just means bringing it back into wholeness. Wholeness already exists, and we're bringing it back into that state is what integration is from my vantage point anyway. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Not damaged goods. <laughs> no, and none At of all. us are. Yes. You know, none of us are. We have been, however, conditioned to focus on our divisions or the separations, what's quote unquote wrong with us. And I think that's one big reflection back from all of this population. We're all disconnected from ourselves to one degree or another, right? And this population is kind of reflecting that back to us and also inviting us to kind of go, what would it be like if we weren't? Susie, how do you see, you know, the future of this uh, about autism and just our education system and awareness of people and, you know, these big ideas and beliefs around it. Do you have some thoughts about that? 
I do. I have a lot of thoughts about <laughs> these things. It's like having worked in educational settings as well as hospitals and things like that as a speech pathologist, and even having questions then about just how children in general are supported or not supported, and looking at it in 2023, which it's a whole different ballgame. I mean, it's, the separation is pretty big at this point. What's fascinating to me is we hear very often, especially in the spiritual community or, you know, those kinds of communities that we're energy first. The people who studied physics and the, the Bill Tillers of the world that I worked with know that we are energy first from that physics perspective. These kids absolutely are that first. But what's been happening is we're talking to them as if they're separated just like we are, right? And so I think one of the biggest things that is starting to happen in education is one, a lot of people are leaving it. A lot of people are leaving it simply because they can't deal with the separation anymore. And I also think that a lot of people are leaving it because they're seeing that the kids are being supported in one way, but they're still not being supported from their broadest perspective. So when it comes right down to it, maybe 10 years from now, maybe 20 years from now, we're going to be teaching vibration. We're going to be teaching that we are vibration first. And when we speak to that in these kids, then we speak to who they actually are and things really begin to change. I remember years ago, I mean, this is when I still lived in Maine, a principal called me and he said, I hear you do weird things with kids on the spectrum and ADD and ADHD and all that stuff. And will you come talk to me? And I said, sure. And he said that it was kind of like something like 20, 25% of his population was diagnosed ADD, ADHD, autism, something around there. And he said, we don't know how to serve these kids. What are we going to do? And I said, wait till it tips to over 50% because you're going to have to serve them based on who they are at that point, not based on who you think they're supposed to be. And that's the thing that is really ramping up right now. That's what's really starting to change. And there's all kinds of alternative schools and I've worked with a lot of them, you know, or some of the people that I've worked with have gone on to create those. This is exactly what's needed because we have to see them as they are, not the way we perceive them to be. What about ADHD and these other diagnoses? Because, you know, those have also increased a lot over the last decades. I don't know. Is there a link there? What do you think? Well. Again, we can talk about this from so many different perspectives. And if we go bigger picture, overall picture, I would say that ADD, ADHD 
were vibrational templates that were setting the stage for autism because ADD and ADHD were precursors in many ways to that diagnosis of autism. And even back in the day when I did have a lot of that population, later on, what I realized is to me, ADD is attention in different dimensions. And ADHD is attention in different dimensions, kind of taking the light speed part of things into the equation. So that's big overall picture. But again, even ADD, ADHD, if you look at it from a very human perspective, there were studies that showed that like on the East Coast of the United States, where education is like very strong and very structured, Tons more kids diagnosed with ADHD there because, again, we're still taking children who are functioning very differently than generations before and still trying to cram them into this old perspective. So we had a lot of kids diagnosed like that and still do. But when you look at it, again, are we trying to make these newer generations fit into an old mold? Or are we actually inviting them to bring to us the awareness and the wisdom and the capacity that they hold so that we can all evolve beyond our limitations? Yeah. Now, this is a complete paradigm shift because if our education changes, our economy changes, I mean, the ripple effect here is just, I mean, nothing would be untouched, I think. That's why they came. You know, it's like if you're bringing a whole different vibrational structure, the kids used to say, we are the new medicine, we are the new technology, we are the new education. So, and by that, they don't necessarily mean that they're going to grow up to be those individuals. They might, and a lot of them are, but they also hold that information as part of of their vibrational field, as part of who they actually are. And it's exactly why they're here in mass to raise that all up. And it's also the reason why you're going to see all kinds of amazing technologies and different types of systems, whether they be everything from financial to educational to, you're going to see that shift Because all that information has been, you might say, held within who they are. Yeah. And as we listen, as we become more aware, is it true that the parents will be able to communicate better and maybe even telepathically? We are waking up in so many ways already, you know, many people. And then to have this their population here also inviting that and actually furthering that with vibration, are we going to perhaps be able to tap into these ideas, these innovations that they hold in consciousness, but haven't been able to express yet in words? A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it, this is what there are already a population of people that are doing just that. Yeah. 
I mean, this is the, the mentorship that I offer. We're talking about it from that vantage point exactly because the fact is, is that at least with the population of kids that I've worked with so far, they are interested in that telepathic communication or spell to communicate or some kind of facilitated communication because they have all of this information that they want to get across. Very often, if a parent shows up in front of me as far as having a conversation, they'll say, well, I'm not sure that I can be telepathic or I'm not sure that my kid can come into some form of communication that is outside the norm of verbal communication. And I will always say to them, we're sitting here together. I know that that's what this is for, right? Because every single one of them has, over the last 25 years, has done just that. Telepathic communication is easier than one might think to get to. And now that something like spell to communicate or facilitated communication is available, that just opened a whole world between parent and child so that a deeper conversation could actually be had so that parents could actually understand what has been, you might say, hidden behind all that dysregulation and nonverbal communication. They're being able to hear that now. And that's huge. For people not aware of what those two things are, could you give us a little bit of education about that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, facilitated communication was a means of using some kind of spelling board or something along those lines and to help regulate the body so that the body, the finger could touch the button, basically, oh, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's basically facilitated communication. There were other things that expanded out of that, which were spell to communicate and systems. But again, very much the same thing, using a spelling board, right, where the facilitator would, again, help to kind of create the opportunity for that finger to touch that button, yeah, or that finger to touch that letter. What most people don't understand is a lot of kids diagnosed on the spectrum, they're hyperlexic. They are reading and knowing letters well before anybody figures that out because they're not communicating and because they're frustrated and because their bodies are dysregulated. It doesn't mean they're not reading and doing all kinds of other amazing things. It's just that we haven't been able to access that. So what happened was felt to communicate is this whole system was created, other systems as well, we call them different things. But basically, it was really about getting that inner voice to be able to come out through the skill set that these kids have. And a lot of times when a parent hears for the first time, when a child spells out for the first time what they know, it's mind-blowing. It, it literally changes people's worlds. Yeah. I'm, I actually have tears coming to my eyes, just imagining what that would be like for a parent. But I will say that's, in a way, making them fit into what works for us again. 
And wouldn't the telepathy, oh, wouldn't that just be amazing? And do you teach the parents telepathy? Yes and no. People naturally step into their telepathic capacity because telepathy is part of our our skill set. It's part of who we are. The reason that telepathy is not utilized by most people is because we've been conditioned to pay attention to other things, pay attention to verbal communication. When we have some kind of synchronistic kind of experience, we've been conditioned to write that off and say, oh, that was just a whatever. The fact is, is that it is our innate capacity. Everyone on this planet has the capacity to telepathically communicate. So when we start reorienting parents or professionals to that capacity, and we start demonstrating, this is how you're already telepathic. This is any parent of a child diagnosed with autism is already telepathic. And we know that because they have to sense and become aware of what their child needs without that child having verbal communication. So they already are. They're just not calling it that. They're not necessarily acknowledging the capacity that that is. But when we start flipping that over and going, yeah, you're already doing it. And here's how. This is what we want you to pay attention to so that that expands. Once that opens up, the kids are going to do everything in their power to help that expand. It's just so exciting. (laughs) It really is. It's so exciting. (laughs) It's time. It's time. Isn't it? Yes. Wow. You know, I just don't believe that there are accidents. I think a lot of us don't believe in accidents. And I just guess I want to go back to the beginning in this notion that this is forward. These children are forward. And I just want to underscore that. And also, are they not an answer to a prayer, so to speak? A hundred percent. And they're an answer to a collective prayer. Yes. So what I understood from Riley anyway is that that humanity had put out kind of like a collective call. And even back in 1986, humanity was already kind of going, at least at that point, we need more of an intuitive sense. We need less masculine, you know, mental kind of energy, more heart energy. And when children diagnosed with autism started coming in, at the beginning, it was still to this day to a certain degree, but at the beginning, absolutely. We had all of these boys in boy bodies, but with a high level of intuitive skill. So again, even there, we're reorienting these children that might have, if they didn't show up in that way, kind of go right down that kind of patriarchal, more masculine kind of energy. And I'm not beating up masculine energy. We need it, but not exclusively, right? Not exclusively. And so we had all these kids that without the diagnosis of autism might have been going down that road. No. Now we've got this male body with a highly tuned intuitive system, a highly tuned sensory system, right? So that right there began to pivot, shift that experience. 
And so it was absolutely a prayer that was answered by all of the souls who have shown up. And the prayer did go out collectively, not necessarily our human thought or our human minds going, okay, we need this. But that growing awareness within each and every one of us that we needed to evolve. And that was one of the first steps, you might say. And now we're evolving almost at light speed. You know, it's like things are moving so fast now. They are. Don't you think the pandemic actually helped this because of the the children couldn't go to school and it put the parents and the children together, unlike before? Yeah, very much so. And again, to the human part of ourselves, these things aren't easy. You know, these things are very, very challenging, and we have to take that into account. And it is also true that from the broader perspective, you might say, from a higher vantage point, we can say that a lot of parents at that time really felt things that they had never had to feel before. Even if that was the only thing that came out of that time where some of these feelings just came rushing up to the surface, we got to see parts of ourselves that we never got to see before. And going back to the fact that the kids said at the beginning, we don't care how you feel, we care that you know how you feel, that in and of itself was a big transformation. And on a practical level, parents also got to see that their children are not designed to be sitting in front of something, you know, and being talked at. You know, they, they just don't function that way. They can't learn that way. There's been a huge exodus from public education for this population just because of that information that showed up during that time. And there's also been a huge influx in people who are already having amazing and unique experiences with the kids who are moving that into educational and therapeutic kind of settings. So it's served its purpose, but like it hurts. <laughs> the human part, it just is a very, it's challenging. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, Susie, I think we're about out of time. I can't believe it. I want to just thank you again for being here. I think that this is just such an important episode. I think it's an important message. I hope that perspectives can be examined and considered and such exciting times. Thank you so much for being here. And if our listeners want to find out more, you offer many different things. I hope that they reach out to you. And you have a website that has everything there for them. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. com. All kinds of interesting things. And I think if we just come to that website with the question, it's like, what else is possible or what am I not seeing that might be available? It's a good way to enter that, that website. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. And we'll have that in the description on YouTube and a show notes. For everyone, Susie Miller, S-U-Z-Y Miller.com. Thank you so much, Susie. It's just been a joy. Thanks, Andrea.
This episode is sponsored by the new Mainstream Reiki community, where we bring together Reiki practitioners of all levels, all styles, and lineages to build a supportive, like-minded community, continue our education and practice together so that we can deepen our understanding of Reiki, explore related topics, and empower ourselves and each other to practice Reiki with more confidence. Join us for live Reiki practice, participate in group mentoring sessions, and conversations to share insights and connect with other Reiki practitioners in a welcoming atmosphere free of social media and advertising. If you'd like to learn more, please visit members.mainstreamreiki.com. Thank you for listening, and you can check the show notes or visit the website beyondthereikigateway.com to find out more about the podcast and connect with me. Please keep in mind that views and opinions expressed in the show don't necessarily reflect those of the podcast or anyone affiliated with its production or advertising. This program is presented for your entertainment only, and all information provided is to be utilized at the listener's own discretion. I, along with the BTRG team, hope you enjoy the show as much as we enjoy making it for you. Wishing you highest blessings until we meet again beyond the Reiki Gateway.